Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer, TNA Hall of Famer, Bully Ray and I talk about Monday Night Raw from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Also, we have two awesome interviews that you do not want to miss. One, with Matt Hardy, and two, from WWE Hall of Famer, Jerry the King Lawler, talking about tales from the territories, his feud with Andy Kaufman, right now, on the Busted Open Podcast. No doubt, stacked show this morning, looking forward to talking to all of our guests. Dave, um, what a rough night for Bobby Lashley, huh? Yeah. A rough night for Bobby Lashley, but, and this is one of the things that's going to be very interesting when we hear that interview from Bobby Lashley, Bully, is that I don't think I've ever met somebody with a more positive attitude. So to counter what you just said, yeah, rough night for Bobby Lashley, but it's going to lead to another matchup with Brock Lesnar, and that's always the matchups we've wanted to see since he's come back to the WWE. Um, I'll never forget being on this show the night, uh, the day after, uh, Bobby, uh, was it Bobby returned or Brock returned? I think it was Bobby. And I was like, yes, give us Bobby and Brock right now. Now I'm not so sure about it. I've seen it a couple of times. I don't think they've caught the lightning in the bottle that I've hoped that they have caught last night. Brock just decimated Bobby. I mean, imagine that would have went the other way last night. That would have been real shocking. Imagine Brock would have picked Bobby up and Bobby would have slid down and did to Brock what Brock did to Bobby. Then I would have been shocked. Then I would have been intrigued. Last night, Dave, I don't know if you how closely you were listening, but when Brock Brock's music hit, I mean, obviously, the place popped huge. Monster surprise last night for those people in the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. Brock comes to the ring. You can feel the energy in the room. And the minute Brock picked up Bobby and F5'd him, boom, the energy was gone. Like, the energy got sucked out of the room because I don't think the people expected it. I don't know if the people wanted it. I think maybe they wanted more of a back and forth, maybe... Uh, physically or a little bit more something on the mic, but 
man, they really, really took the life out of the room quick last night. Did you Did you get that? Yeah, I noticed that as well. I mean, listen, Brock's going to get that kind of reaction. I feel like we're going to talk a lot about Brock Lesnar this morning, Bully. And I almost picked up my phone and texted you, and then we saw what happened with Lashley. But, you know, when Brock appears on your screen, it's like you're taking it to that next level. There's nobody, Roman being a close second, that is on the level of a Brock Lesnar. He's just that next level superstar. And whenever he appears, and it doesn't matter about wins and losses, uh, whenever Brock does come back, it's a big deal. And again, we saw Brock last night, and it's going to lead to a match, I'm sure, with Bobby Lashley at Crown Jewel. The thing about Brock Lesnar, Bully, and you always say it, it's the mystique of a Brock Lesnar. You're going... You're going to get that pop, whether he's a baby face or a heel. You're going to get a pop from the crowd because Brock Lesnar, to me, is the definition of a superstar. Uh, Megastar. And I I totally agree with you when it comes to megastars on screen for the WWE between Brock and Roman. uh, It's hard to choose because, man, that that bloodline entrance last night, that very grandiose uh, presentation of the bloodline is something to witness on television. It takes a while for it to play out too. It's a, it's a long entrance. Seeing, listen, seeing Brock back on the screen, it's always great to have him around. I know people are very, you know, down the middle when it comes to Brock, if he's coming back for uh, Saudi, obviously that's the a la carte WWE yes. show. That's where the prince uh, gets to order what he wants. Uh, yes, I'll take um, one Brock Lesnar and I'll take one Bobby Lashley and I'll take one Logan Paul and I'll take one Roman Reigns and thank you. And can I get a side of, uh, you know, the Miz and uh, Dexter Loomis to go, which didn't work last night. No. Um, but I'm sure we're going to get into all of that. But yeah, good to see Brock back. I, I wasn't a huge fan of how this segment went. Uh, that's a very predictable segment, and I'm not sure what it does for Bobby. So Bobby needs to get his comeuppance. Yeah, and, and we've talked that, about that a lot when it came to Brock and Bobby Lashley. That whole program we were talking about, that Brock, they gave him all the punchlines, like all the offense in the program that they had the last time. And if you remember, even when Bobby Lashley won the championship from Brock, it was because of outside interference from Roman Reigns. And that led to Brock and Roman, you know, down the road at WrestleMania. I'm hoping this time around, they give a little shine to Bobby Lashley. Unfortunately, I think one of the things that has held Bobby back during his career And he's had an amazing career, but Bobby's not on the same level as a Brock or a Roman. The same thing that held Bobby back is the same thing that holds Drew McIntyre back at times, in my opinion. Do you know what the answer is, Dave? Just too too nice of a guy. They're genuinely too nice. They really are. They can try to play that um, more aggressive, in-your-face type character, but they're never going to come across like a Brock Lesnar. They're never going to come across like that next level badass. Don't get me wrong. In real life, Bobby Lashley, Drew McIntyre, badasses, guys that you don't want to meet in a, in a, in a dark alley because they will kick your ass. But those characters on TV, I think Drew has done a little bit better with it. Finding more of that intensity bringing more of that intensity out. But at the end of the day, Bobby and Drew are just nice guys. 
And when you're genuinely that nice, sometimes it's hard for that animosity and angst to come out. Last night, Monday Night Raw at the Barclays in Brooklyn. Really, the Barclays Center has become kind of the flagship arena for the WWE now. I don't think it's it's Madison Square Garden anymore. I really do think it's the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Even with the bloodline, Matt Riddle kind of came across as the heel in that segment with the bloodline because the bloodline is so over, especially bully Sami Zayn. You know, the whole Sammy situation last night was uh, very interesting. Uh, you know, you got the bloodline out there. You got, obviously, Roman, the head of the table, the biggest star in the WWE right now. You have Heyman, arguably the greatest manager of all time. The Usos, your tag team champions. Solo, who just been called up, who looks like a complete badass and belongs with that crew. There are so many heavy hitters in that group, so much star power. And who was the Barclays chanting for? Sammy, Sammy Zayn. Yep. Not once, not twice, but three times they were very audible about singling Sammy out. And <laughs> to Sammy's credit, he never acknowledged the people, which was very, very smart. Because in acknowledging the people, you're kind of letting the other guys know in the ring that, hey, they're chanting for me and not for you. And you never want to do that. You always want to play your character right down the middle. Um, and that's what he did. And he got it over. And then, he, you know, when he said to uh, Jimmy or Jay, I forget, he goes, you're not acting very oozy. People <laughs> love that. Yeah. You know, and they started chanting Usi and, you know, they were they were firmly behind Sammy. And this honorary Usi thing is right up his alley. And I think he's doing some of his best work with it. Yeah. And it's funny because when it first came and this we talk about this a lot when it comes to WWE storylines. At first, you may not love it and may not go together. But if it's if you have the right players, bully, it's going to be knocked over the fence. And I think. You can make the case that this is the best work Sami Zayn has done in his career. And here's a guy that's been through ladder wars and ring of honor. This is a guy who's put his body on the line and the most over he's been in his career is right now with the bloodline, just being, you know, a side guy in this faction. Character and story will always trump wrestling moves. Always, always. Always. <clears throat> I don't care how big of a fan you are of, of, of professional wrestling and the stuff that the physicality that goes on in the ring. Yeah, that's all great. But what Sammy Zayn is doing right now with his character and the way he's integrating his character into the bloodline story is so much more valuable to the WWE than any match that Sammy Zayn can have. But you know what? When he does eventually have a match, whatever that match is going to be, it's going to be huge because everybody's going to be emotionally invested in that match because of how over his character is. And, and that's the beauty. Once you get the character over, once you're immersed in the story, the match becomes that much easier. And they respond to stuff that, 
where you don't have to go crazy anymore. You're not going to have to see Sami Zayn do in a WWE ring what he was doing as El Generico in a Ring of Honor ring, killing himself. No, now the character is there. Now the story is there. You can just have a regular wrestling match that people will buy into. And I'm loving the interaction between Sammy and the Usos. The, it's, it's, it's as good as the interaction between Heyman and Roman. They are all gelling so well together. And even Solo just standing there. And I love Solo just standing there. Just standing there looking like a badass. That's all you have to do. Hey, boss, what do you want me to do? Stand there. Look like a badass. You got it. I can do that. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to Factormeals.com slash Busted50 and use code Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Busted50 at Factormeals.com slash Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. If you missed anything this week on Mad Dog Sports Radio, I got you covered. It's Mike Babchicks. Morning After, where we play back the best clips of the week and recap in a way you have never heard before. It's a roast like no other, and no one is safe. Not Mad Dog, not anyone. This is a Morning After walk of shame you actually won't regret. You can find Mike Babchicks Morning After on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. The one and only Matt Hardy. And Matt, I know we want to dive into your new podcast, Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. The latest episode, which I know um, must have been a difficult episode to do. You talk about uh, 2010, 2011, and a lot of what happened mm-hmm. in your career, Matt, and what happened even outside the ring. Yeah, it was... Uh... It, it wasn't as difficult as it was almost cathartic. It was nice to kind of talk about it and kind of, you know, lay everything out there. And it was really important to me to speak about 2010, 2011, those years that I did struggle with addiction after my body was so physically beat up. And I was burnt out on every level, physically, mentally, emotionally. And I know there are a lot of people just recently through this pandemic that have had mental health issues, that have had addiction issues. And, and I thought if I can share my story and we can help a few people, it's going to be positive. It's going to be a good thing. And it was it really was cathartic to actually talk about those that whole time. What about that that time? What about talking about it truly helped you? I, I just think putting your story out there so others know that even someone who is a celebrity or some has some sort of notoriety from pro wrestling you know over many many years over decades you know has issues like that too and i I think they can relate to that like if this guy can get through his issue then i can get through mine as well you know matt you went through a lot and we'll talk a little bit about it again it's the extreme life of matt hardy the latest episode matt talks about his struggles with addiction back in 2010 2011 and then a great outcome and, and again, we'll get into that because you have a wonderful family. I know that helped you uh, through some of those difficult times. But the one thing that really hit me, and I feel like 
at some point, everybody feels this. And this is where, like you said, Matt, a lot of people can relate to your story. You love pro wrestling. You love being a pro wrestler. It's what you've always wanted to do. And now you're doing it. And in that time period, you talk about how you lost your passion for pro wrestling and it just became a job to you. That had to be difficult for you. Definitely, because it's always been a passion. It's always been one of those things that has been a labor of love where, you know, I would do it for free in theory because you love it so much. And, you know, if you do a job that you love every single day that you go into work, it doesn't really feel like a job. You know, it feels like you're having fun. And that's what wrestling always was for me. But there were a time where the tables were turned and it didn't quite feel that way. So to to kind of get past that period and and just realize it it gave me a, a, a a good reason to evaluate myself looking back at that time. And if there's a point where you're burnt out uh, physically or mentally or emotionally, you have to address it. You have to like nip it in the bud and address it. And that's what I wish I would have done then, but it was a great life lesson to learn that. Matt, can you remember a time during these, this dark period where you were able to catch yourself for a moment, whether you're at home or on the road or in a locker room or in a ring or anywhere where you're like, man, things are not good for me right now. I really need to do something to help myself. Yeah, I, I think whenever whenever I left WWE and I really worked hard to try and get my release and get out of there, just whenever I got home for those three months that I was sitting out that, that 90 day no compete clause, there were a lot of times it was very good. And I did address like, God, I went through a bad period. I've, I've got to, I've got to figure out a way to never allow myself to do this again. But then when I, I stepped back into wrestling prematurely and I started taking bumps and I was beat up in my back and, and hips were so messed up, I got right back into it. And then I realized towards the end of that, like, I have to end this. I have to change uh, if I, I want to continue living and I want to experience life on the best level. You know, Matt, you're going through those struggles and, and obviously I don't think this would happen this day and age though. This time period for me as a fan doesn't seem that long ago. You're going through those struggles, like you said, your body's mm-hmm. beaten up. You know that, and that, and that's a, a lot. A lot what fans have to understand about how much you put your body through and how much pain you were in at that time. And and I'm sure at that time you weren't able to work out like you wanted to do. And I would feel like at that time where you're going through some struggles that the company would want to support you, but it felt like almost it was the opposite. Um, you talk about it, you know, the, the Cody promo on SmackDown when he was making fun of your weight. At that time, if you remember uh, the whole Piggy James storyline with Mickey James, like it, it, I feel like we have to talk about it because those were, I mean, I mean, what kind of messages does that send to your employees and to the performers that are part of your roster? Sure. I, I, I agree. Those were both bad calls <laughs> in the big scheme of things, even like when my brother was back and he'd obviously had his struggles uh, over the years with addiction and alcohol was uh, the most recent, obviously. And, uh, you know, when they put him on TV and, and put him in like a, an addict alcoholism angle and story, I, I, I feel like those are in bad taste. And I, I think you won't be seeing that as much now that Triple H is in charge. That, that's something you would never see underneath Tony Khan. He's very forward thinking, very progressive. And, and he realizes like people who have these real life struggles, you have to separate them. You, you really shouldn't abuse them and, and, and make light of them on your television product. When it came to that storyline with Jeff and the, uh, and the alcohol um, problems, did, did Jeff have the option of saying no or did you have the option of saying no when it came to the weight storyline and i guess let me throw this out there i know we always have the option of saying no but saying no sometimes can be the kiss of death so 
How did you I mean, know? How did Jeff or you feel about it? I mean, I, you answered the question perfectly, just like that. You know, it's it's just saying no is something that you you know have the option of doing, but it isn't something that is truly encouraged. They want you to go with the flow. Um, you were going through your struggles. Jeff was going through some struggles as well. You guys are so close. Um, Jeff had that issue at Victory Road, the the TNA pay per view Victory Road. And mm-hmm. you were there at that time, like seeing him in that condition. Did that, was that a wake up call for you at that time? And what was going through your mind when you saw Jeff going through those struggles as well? I mean, anytime you see someone that you love, and obviously I love my brother going through a situation like that is heartbreaking. So, so it was heartbreaking. It was very sad. And just, you know, at, th- at that point, I just wanted him to get better. And just like most recently at this point, I just want him to get better. And even if Jeff never wrestles another day in his life, I want him to be healthy. And it's important for him to be healthy and happy because he has two beautiful daughters. He has a, a very loving wife who was stuck by side through thick and through thin. And the most important thing I want for my brother is for him to be healthy. On the subject of Jeff, real quick, how is he doing right now? How is his health? How is his physical health, his mental health, how this family? Just bring us up to speed real quick. He, he seems to be doing really well. Uh, the conversations I've had with him have been really, really good. And the, the most important barometer, I think, of all of these things is that his wife, Beth, is super happy with his progress and where he's at in life. And I think that's probably the most important. Do you think like what you're going through at that time, a lot of it had to do with injuries and staying in there and not wanting to take time off? Do you feel like over the last 10 years, pro wrestling has changed in the direction where people are going to notice when you're going through those struggles to make sure what happened to you doesn't happen to a lot of younger talent? It has. I think pro wrestling has mirrored society in a lot of ways where it it does really uh, take a notice of mental health issues or addiction issues or injury issues. And, and, you know, the protocols have got a lot more stringent and, and a lot better. And I think I also needed to learn to change. And one thing I wasn't changing then is like changing the way I work my styles, you know, in the late nineties and early two thousands with one of the men on this panel, we had some pretty crazy matches. We took some pretty big bumps. Me and him took one of the biggest bumps ever where we took the big ride through four tables in, uh, in Houston. But I had to learn how to change my style as you get older and, and you have bumps, many, many bumps taken off your bump card. You have to learn how to change your style. And that's something that I had to do through that period. It was almost a transitional period for me. What about your style today is considerably different than what we saw, like you said, late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah, 100 percent. Like, I mean, if I had my choice, I would be broken Matt Hardy and, and do cinematic and uh, I, I would do uh, I would do Shakespeare more than anything, you know, but but it's it's at that point where I can still go out there. I can still have a very good, solid match. I'm just very smart. I don't do things that I know are going to, you know, uh, damage my body. I, I, I try and work as hard as possible but also work as smart as possible matt i know we never say never in the business but do you ever think we're going to see the version of broken matt hardy that we that we saw in tna because i never thought that we really got that full-blown version of it obviously in the wwe and we didn't see it in AEW. yeah um AEW really is a more sports centric product. So I, I think a broken Matt Hardy could work there, but it would be much more based in realism. I think broken Matt Hardy would just be more animalistic more than anything else. But as far as the supernatural stuff, uh, you know, the larger than life magic and whatnot, I, I don't think that would really fit in AEW so much. And I think timing was an issue because Matt, when you came to AEW it was during the pandemic and it was just like a I mean, couple I, of weeks in. No, I, I debuted on the first, ever empty arena pandemic era show 
on wow. AEW. I did right. it on the very yeah. first one. And, and and Broken Matt Hardy is very much a, a crowd audience driven character. You know what I mean? You know, you, you want him, you want the crowd to, you know, sing along with him in his crazy words and his crazy delivery and whatnot. So, you know, and delete with him. So it, it, it was tough. It was very challenging. You know, uh, Bully and I were talking earlier about Sami Zayn, who had some crazy matches when he was with Ring of Honor as El Generico, but now probably over as he's ever been as being part of the bloodline. You know, Matt, you put yeah. your body to so much abuse when with those matches that you were talking about, the matches with Bully. But I think what really resonated with a lot of fans was the characters, you know, Big Money Matt, you know, the deletion character. Like, And again, you're not doing any moves. There's no. Re- it's all about the personality and character. And man, you knocked it out of the park. So you have to be pleased and proud with what you've been able to do the second half of your career. I, I have been. I have, I've been very, uh, very pleased. And then once again, I just try and work smarter as opposed to, you know, you work harder, but you work smarter. You don't actually work recklessly. You know, young guys who haven't taken a lot of bumps off their bump cards, they still kind of have that option. I really don't, you know. I, I have to work smarter. And some of the things like I'm so proud of is when we had at Grand Slam, when we had that, that battle royal where myself and private party uh, reunited. I mean, that that happened well after midnight on that evening. And the reaction it still got meant a lot. You know, th- those guys have been very important to me. They were my initial investments whenever I started managing them as big money Matt, And I was also like a mentor to them off the screens, a mentor to, mentor to them. And uh, just the fact that people are really it evokes emotion to see us uh, reuniting once again. That's very important to me. And I'm very excited to, to have this story play out as it will in the next few weeks. Matt, you've experienced over your career being on the front of the burner and being on the back of the burner. Yes. And uh, you know, there's nothing better than being on the front of the burner and being out there every single week, immersed in a storyline, presenting your character, having great matches uh, in AEW. It seems like a majority of the talent, you know, everyone, you know, every once in a while they come to the front and then they go to the back. You have not been used as much as I'm sure you would have liked to have been used. Uh, how do you deal with it as a professional mentally when you're showing up to work every single week, but not necessarily being used as much as you'd like to be? I mean, I'm okay with it in the big scheme of things because uh, first and foremost, uh, I, I'm I love working with AAW. I love working with Tony Khan. He is such an easy boss, and he's very very generous in many ways. And you know, th- there's there's ideas I have, and we have a huge roster, so TV time is thin for a lot of people, and you kind of cycle in and cycle out. But 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 I'm okay with it, you know. And and I feel like I'm put in important positions. And whenever I'm put in a, a position, I'm put in a position to succeed, which is something that didn't happen in my last run in WWE part of the time. You know, Matt, we talk about it here, and it's kind of been, I guess, a big issue over the last few years in the world of pro wrestling, and that's dirt sheets. You know, a lot of people reporting on stuff that may or may not be true, could be fact, could be false. Uh, you have a good stance on dirt sheets, and and and, it, and you say it in the episode of Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, the current episode, it's like, well, you know what? If you don't want shit reported about you, don't do dumb shit. Like, and I, yeah. and I thought that was pretty, pretty eye opening. But how, you know, obviously back in 2010 and 2011, a lot of what you were going through, I'm sure having people report about it didn't help the situation. How, how, what is your stance on dirt sheets and, you know, the quote unquote uh, pro wrestling journalists? I mean, I have no issue with it. I mean, back then, and I I'm, will quickly admit this. I mean, I, I was being a bitch about things. I mean, I was doing dumb things. So you're going to get dumb things reported on you if you're doing dumb stuff. So, you know, if, if you don't do dumb things, you won't get dumb things reported about you. You know, like I'm very good at where I'm at in my life now. I live a very legit 
genuine life. And uh, I, I do my best to help everyone that I can. I do my best to be a positive influence. And I'm the ultimate optimist in many ways. So I feel good about where I'm at. And, and once again, my recommendation to anyone who doesn't want to be in the dirt sheets, don't do anything that is going to cause you to be in the dirt sheets. Pretty good advice. <laughs> these, these guys, I mean, these, these guys, these guys are literally just doing their job. You know, they, they cover wrestling and people are looking for scoops and for dirt. And if there's no dirt on you, I mean, they can't really report any dirt. So trust just, me, uh, you they know, listen to bus that open every day and they clickbait us <laughs> left yeah. and right. Of course. They clickbait me. <laughs> Uh, Matt, you're doing a phenomenal job with the extreme. Again, it's uh, the name of the podcast is Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. Uh, John Alba's the host. John, uh, great guy, uh, great host. I think you guys have tremendous chemistry together. Thank How you. do you like doing the podcast? I enjoy it. I mean, it was very different for me. I can't believe we're at 40 episodes already. You know, this last week's episode was 40. That's Jesus, I can't believe it. It, it flew by. Uh, it's a new venture for me, and I can tell as time has gone on, I've gotten better at it, and I really enjoy doing it. So it's it's something that I think is a, a great trait for me to learn. It's something I can do once I step out of the ring physically. Matt, just want to bring up a little bit of the some of the stuff that's going been going on backstage at AEW. Not exactly the most positive of news. Why, um, why now and where, why there? Like we spent a lot of time in the WWE. Not a lot of that stuff went on. We spent a lot of time in TNA together. Not a lot of stuff of that went on. Why is that stuff going on right now? And as a veteran, how do you try to help out those situations? I mean, once again, the, the, the best advice I can give anyone, if you have an issue with something or someone, go to them directly and like talk it out. People... When people harbor resentment towards someone else, that's when bad things happen. You, you have to get it out. You have to be forthright, forthright and, and really address these scenarios and situations. And, and I feel like as a veteran, I am trying to help expedite that process. And there's a lot of guys, too, like like Jericho, John Moxley and Brian Danielson. They've all really stepped up and had these super positive, productive meetings. And uh, we're going to continue on that path. And I, I think we're going to get there and everything's going to be good. Do you think that the world of social media kind of hinders this with, with some guys oh taking God. to social media and airing out the their dirty laundry as opposed to getting together face-to-face -to -face with the person they might have an issue with? I mean, yeah. So, social media is one of those things. It's like a, a double-edged sword in many ways. I, I say it all the time. <clears throat> the best thing about social media, it gives everyone a voice. The worst thing about social media, it gives everyone a voice. <laughs> and uh, you, you, you know, it's like, if you have an issue with someone, you have to go face to face with them. And that's the only way anything ever gets settled. And social media, once again, it, it can be great because there are guys who can, you know, advertise whatever they're doing. They can promote their abilities. They can promote their promotions, whatever. Those are great. But also there's so many people that get upset and angry. And then they that's the easy way for them to lash out. And that's the easy way for them to vent. But it's, it's, it's the wrong route to take. Uh, you're closing in on 30 years uh, in, in pro wrestling. I know that's going to be a big episode that's coming up as well yeah. on your podcast. I mean, do you look back at it and say, wow, where did the time go? Uh, yes, you do. It, it seems like just yesterday when I was, uh, you know, setting up a, uh, a ring in an armory for our first ECWF show, the promotion would eventually become Omega. And it took us five hours to step the ring. It was such a mess. It was, it was built so poorly, but just looking back at all that and the journey and, and working so hard to get signed. And I remember seeing Bubba and ECW and the Dudley's doing stuff and Ray Mysterio and being so inspired, like, okay, these guys are younger, but they're doing it as well. We got to hang in there. We can do it. And just the fact that we were able to make it and we left such a mark, 
on the industry in the in the tag team wrestling scene in the 90s and and we were you know the, our popularity it's hard to believe myself and my brother got that popular in 1999 2000 2001 and the fact that myself and the dudleys and edge and christian created the tlc match we're the forefathers of it it's it's amazing stuff and just looking back in hindsight it's been an incredible ride and time really has flown so i'm i'm very happy to be celebrating it on this week's the extreme life of matt hardy podcast Again, Extreme Life of Matt Hardy podcast does an amazing job with John Alba. Matt, thank you as always for the time. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. It's always a pleasure to be on here with you. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash busted open. That's mintmobile.com slash busted open. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash busted open. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Yes. This is Adam Shine, host of the Adam Shine Podcast. Here to tell you, you can listen to my podcast all year round. I'll give you my NFL picks against the spread, give you fantasy advice all season long, while being joined by the best guests in all of sports. He's Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers. This is what I expect. You know, I expect to play well every year. We release episodes of the Adam Shine Podcast every week. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast or listen on the SXM app, included with most subscriptions. The Adam Shine Podcast. All right, let's bring him in. It's always a pleasure to have him on, uh, and that is Jerry the King Lawler. Mr. Lawler, thanks again, once again, uh, for your time. We really appreciate it. You you know, King, uh, tonight's episode is uh, about you and Kaufman, and um, we we know so much about it already, whether you've told the stories or, or other people have told the stories. Is there anything that's going to come out in this episode tonight that people might not know about? Uh, you know, I don't think so. I know we, I've like you said, I've told that story 10,000 times. And uh, there are actually two different companies are working on documentaries right at, as we speak about the entire Kaufman situation. And I, I think sometimes... When I start talking about it again, this story's been beat to death. You know, I don't know if there's anything new that's going to come out uh, tonight, but um, I'm, I'm interested to see how they're going to, you know, how they're going to go in and do the recreations of all of that stuff or how much of the actual footage that they have. I, that, that part, I don't know either. So I'm looking forward to seeing that as well uh, tonight. You know, Jerry, as as a fan at that time, and I lived in Jersey, the one territory I could never see was Memphis. But obviously I read about it in the magazines. So as a wrestling fan, I hated Andy Kaufman. Most people did. It's a different <laughs> – right. like if that would have happened today, a lot of people would be talking about, wow, Andy Kaufman's doing a lot for the world of pro wrestling. Boy, he gets it. What a great fan. But back then, fans – absolutely hated Andy Kaufman. So it's interesting because think about what Andy Kaufman did at that time. 
mainstream fans who aren't wrestling fans aren't going to understand it. They're going to be like, why is he doing wrestling? We don't get it. But the wrestling fans actually hated him. It almost sounded like career suicide at that time for Andy Kaufman to get involved in wrestling. Well, you know what? You're right. And a lot of people in Hollywood thought it was career suicide. But Andy didn't care because Andy didn't care about Hollywood. Andy really loved wrestling. He actually told me when he was in Memphis, we were in the dressing room. He said, man, I love this. He said, I would give up everything that I'm doing in Hollywood, all the TV shows, taxi, the comedy clubs, all that. If I could just stay involved with wrestling, I love it. You know, Freddie Prince Jr. is sort of like that as well. I mean, you know, here's a big Hollywood actor that, that just all of a sudden walked away from all of that and, and came and started working as a writing, you know, writing uh, staff there in WWE. And it still is to this day. So, um, that's just the way Andy felt about it. He loved it, loved the business, uh, was so respectful of everybody and everything about the business. I mean, Andy didn't come up with any ideas at all during that thing. He just sat back. He told me, he said, I, look, I'm in your world, and uh, I'll just, I'm just going to try to do what you suggest we do. And that's, that's the way it all went. He just loved the business. And so um, I, that's what I'm anxious to see, how they portray that tonight, you know, uh, on, that, on that TV show. King, we've seen throughout the years that storylines from back in the day are borrowed from or rehashed, used all over again with different characters. Do you think that King and Kaufman could be done again in this day and age? Not at all. And not why not? At all. That that uh, that genie's out of the bottle. And I don't think that's going to, I don't think something like that can ever happen again. You know, that was at a time when, uh, I mean, that, that was the reason that Andy got turned down by the WWE. He went, he went first to Vince McMahon senior, you know, Andy was from Long Island, New York. So that's, that's all he grew up seeing. That was the WWE. And he went to Vince McMahon senior and with his idea that he wanted to wrestle women in front of a wrestling crowd, he told him, he said, I've been doing this on, the Mike Douglas show, Murph Griffin, Saturday Night Live. He said, but it's not being well received. He said, I want to wrestle in front of wrestling fans. And at that time, the reason he didn't get to for WWE was because Mr. McMahon told him, this is Vince Sr. He said, Andy, my, our fans are skeptical. And he said, I don't want to, I, I, he said, I'm just hesitant to involve the Hollywood actor in our wrestling because then I think it might put in the fans' head that we're all actors. And that's how that's how that's how Andy and I got hooked up because he he got turned down by the WWE at that time, and um, I mean it, it was funny. I had Rock. I had uh, dinner with The Rock just the other night with The Rock and Nick Khan, uh, the new CEO for uh, uh, WWE. Had dinner with him here in Memphis, and we were talking. That's all we were talking about was the Andy Kaufman situation. And and Rock said he said you know looking back, Triple H has said this as well. Rock said, I would probably not even be a movie star today if that had not happened. He said, because that's what tied, that was the first thing that tied wrestling and entertainment together. The first time it was accepted and first time it got national publicity. And, uh, you know, I never really thought about that, but that's a good possibility because after we did that, then that's the moment that Vince, Vince Jr., saw how successful that was and how much publicity it got, he immediately brought in, I think the first was Cindy Lauper. He tied in, 
and then um, uh, then next Mr. T, and all of the, then all of a sudden the movie stars got involved with wrestling, and that was that was Andy Kaufman was the start of all of that. Wow, you know when it came to Andy Kaufman, obviously most people are going to bring up the. David Letterman episode when you both appeared with David Letterman. I remember watching that in real time. And, you know, I I mean, I thought everything I was watching on my TV was a hundred percent authentic and real. Was there plan? Was that on the fly? Was there planning? Like how did that all come together? And how much did David Letterman know of what was going on in that moment? Well, I don't want I don't want to give away the secret of the show tonight because that is all explained in the show. And no, it was not. Uh, I mean, we both went to a, a production meeting earlier in the day. Andy refused to be in the same meeting with me. We went into a meeting with the production segment coordinator, uh, Robert Morton. And when I walked in there, he said, well, Jerry, he said, Andy refused to be in the same meeting with you. But I've already talked to him about what Dave wants you guys to do tonight on the show. So I'll just retell you, and trust me, it was nothing like what happened. Um, they, had, they had an idea. It involved uh, the two of us apologizing to each other, and then Andy was going to sing what the world needs now is love, sweet love. And when the show started, that's what I expected to happen. That's what Dave expected to happen. That's what Andy expected to happen. But as you know, I mean, working with Andy – Everything was everything was done on the fly. He was he was so great at improvisation that uh, what happened is what happened. I mean, we were going to be on two segments. I knew that we had already been on the first segment. In the second segment, we were supposed to apologize to each other. And Andy sings, and he never apologized really, and I never apologized to him. And it kept going and going. And finally, Dave said, "I guess Dave realized well this has gone off the track, so I'm going to have to take a break and get rid of these two guys." So when Paul Schaefer started playing the music, I, I'm swear to you, I didn't. I, Andy didn't know I was going to do it. Dave didn't know I was going to do it, and I didn't even know I was going to do it. It was like when I watch it back, it's like an out of body experience. I just knew we were going to go off, and I just knew nothing had happened. And so I just stood up. I looked Andy right in the eyes, and I just slapped the taste out of his mouth. And that's, you know, what what happened. Everything that happened after that was all off the cuff. I mean, it was just, it was all real. It was every bit of it was real. King, we've spoken to you several times about your wrestling career and you've explained to us that you really don't think about pro wrestling 24 seven, like most wrestlers do. You only thought about pro wrestling when it was time to think about pro wrestling. When you look back at Lawler Kaufman, is there anything that you wish you would have done differently? No, honestly, I don't. Um, And I do think about it occasionally, you know, the different things that happen. I mean, we did so much that the people that the world, because it wasn't on cable at at the time, we did so much down in Memphis and all around the territory. He just kept coming back and coming back. We did so much that the world didn't never saw, you know, I'm hoping that uh, some of these documentaries that are, they're working on now, we'll get to show all of that kind of stuff. I mean, we had uh, most people in the most fans minds think that we had that one match and that, you know, he got the pile drivers and got hurt and went to the hospital. And that was it. That was certainly not it. I bet Andy and I came back and wrestled probably 30 times. Uh, Every kind of match imagine we had boxing matches. We had, uh, I burned Andy's face. I mean, uh, 
we, he got we had tag team matches. He put a bounty out on me. It just kept going week after week because you know Andy was Andy was in the mindset of he was just loving doing what we was doing and coming back and and Jerry Jarrett and I were in the mindset of whoo this is great business. You know we want to keep returning this as long as it draws. You know that's the way we do in the wrestling business. You keep returning something until it stops drawing, and that's what we did with Andy. Uh, we just kept bringing him back, bringing him back, and he loved coming back. As a matter of fact, he was actually doing in, in the movie Man on the Moon. It showed that we that uh, we had a meeting with his his manager uh, George. Uh, oh, anyway, with his manager, and showed that we had a meeting and said that he told us, "I don't think you guys should work together anymore." That actually never happened. That was just artistic liberties they took in the movie. We never had that movie. Andy was still. Um, and he was still working with our wrestling right up until he got cancer. He was actually on my he was actually on my Sunday morning show one morning, and he started coughing all during an interview that we were doing. And afterwards, he apologized to me for for coughing, and that's when he told me he said he said I've just been diagnosed with cancer. And like in the movie, like he did with his as with friends, I didn't believe him. I said, Andy, that that would be funny. And, uh, and then I said, actually, that's not funny. And he said, no, I'm serious. I, I really have. So he was still coming and doing the, uh, doing the wrestling stuff with us right when he got cancer. King, knowing how Andy was, was it hard for you to believe him that he had cancer? Yes. No, I, I didn't believe him at first at all. I did not. But then uh, – I mean, like, like I said, Andy around me and around the business had been so sincere that, uh, I mean, I didn't believe him when he first said it, but when he hesitated and said, no, I'm serious, I immediately believed him. You know, Jerry, not a lot of people got to really see the true side of Andy Kaufman. Obviously, people who watched him only saw the character. Actually, a lot of people who work with them probably only see the character but it see it sounds like you actually had a very good uh friendly relationship with andy kaufman oh absolutely i mean andy came to my andy stayed at my house uh several times during you know during that uh all the working together that we did down here in memphis and he was uh yeah he was a great guy the i mean you know he had a he had a few quirks he had a few uh at that time i i'd never been around anybody that meditated and Andy had to, he absolutely had to meditate before every match, before we did any kind of TV exposed, uh, TV experience or anything like that. That was, that was just part of Andy. And, uh, so, but other than that, no, just a, just a typical normal guy. He wasn't, he was never, uh, on, so to speak, you know, except when he was on, uh, but when he was away from the cameras, just a nice, quiet, uh, almost shy kind of guy. Uh, last question for me. And again, uh, tonight it's going to be the Andy Kaufman, Jerry Lawler feud from Memphis, uh, tales from the territory on vice TV tonight. Um, Jim Carrey, like you talked about the movie man on the moon was Jim Carrey for the lack of a better term, as big of an asshole as people say he was during the filming of that movie. Without a doubt, he was maybe even bigger. Uh, but he was—he was. He was um, there were there were times when you could tell that uh, that 
it, it was all an act. You know, he was trying to he was trying to put on an act that he was channeling Andy Kaufman. And I mean, you know, he he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't answer if you called him Jim Jim Carrey anything like that. He would just completely ignore you. Even the director Milos Forman, who directed One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and and Amadeus, all these huge movies. I mean, one of the most uh, respected directors in the world. He had to call. He had to refer to Jim Carrey as Andy all throughout the movie. And uh, I'll never forget. I, I one time I I told. Um, I mean, I just about had it with Jim Carrey's annex and everything. And I called the director off, Milo Torman, and I said, Milo, I said, this, has this idiot even read the script? Does he not know that Andy and I were friends? And Milo's just doing, oh, Jerry. Jerry, Jerry, he is the 800-pound gorilla, Jerry. I can do nothing with him. And that was, that was just the thing I really remember about the way Carrey was during that movie. Busted Open is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast. Catch the full three hours of Busted Open Monday through Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation, channel 156. Go to SiriusXM.com backslash Busted Open Trial to start your free trial today. Did you know that more than 113,000 children are waiting to be adopted from foster care? Ellie was one of them. When she was placed in foster care at 16 after experiencing significant abuse, she felt unlovable. Thankfully, Ellie was adopted with help from the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. Today, she's planning on college and has a bright future. But more than 20,000 teens age out of care every year. You can help. Visit DaveThomasFoundation.org slash learn more. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.